Hello, I'm Reverend Willard Bass, and this is the Words of Truth podcast. I'm here today with Casey Glass to discuss the eugenic study in Winston-Salem. Dr. Glass, would you introduce yourself for us? Uh, sure. My name is Casey Glass. I'm an emergency physician at Wake Forest Baptist Health, and I've been a uh, supervising physician here in the community for 10 years, and I did my specialty training in emergency medicine here before that. So I've been a Winston-Salem resident for the last 15 Okay, well, the subject at hand today is this idea of, of the eugenic study. Are you familiar with the eugenic study that happened at, uh, in Forsyth County's early history of medicine? Um, no, and it's funny because uh, I had met you earlier through actually getting this uh, podcast uh, set up. It's one of the things I, I like to do when I'm not doing medicine. And this subject came up, and I was surprised that in all my years at Wake Forest, I had never heard about uh, this particular study, which sounds uh, both terrifying and noteworthy. Yeah, I'll tell you what, terrifying is probably uh, uh, just a, uh, an introduction to the impact of this uh, study on our community. Uh, as it turns out, Larry Womble and um, one other of our um, aldermen at the time, they were called councilmen, went to Raleigh. And one of the projects they took up was this idea of giving compensation for the, for the ancestors of the uh, those people who were uh, a part of this eugenic study but the idea of the of the eugenic study was saying it really initiated around somewhere around world war ii when it was winding down uh the bowman gray school of medicine through dr uh nash herndon i can get his name right dr herndon at the bowman gray school of medicine described a eugenic sterilization program in forsyth county using language uh, eerily they say reminiscent of the nazi experimentation and so in 1943, the project aimed at uh, eugenics improvement for the population of Forsyth County was begun in cooperation with Dr. J. Roy Hedge, a Forsyth County health officer. The project consisting of gradual but systemic efforts to eliminate certain genetically unfit strains in our local population. About 30 operations of sterilization uh, have been performed at the time that Herndon wrote in his annual report that the Department of Medicine uh, had uh, in, in 1943 and 44. He said that sterilization operations uh, not approved by the eugenics board in North Carolina were illegal uh, up until, at least that's what the findings are coming out now saying, until 1963. So though the state generally ignores sterilizations performed by private doctors on willing patients, the cases of eugenic sterilization, uh, such as the one described by Dr. Hernan, had to be approved by his board. Officials at Wake Forest University School of Medicine today condemned the eugenics research and also all these things went on, but the impact that it had on our community, uh, Dr. Glass, is what we, uh, I want to kind of share with you because this is the whole idea of why we do this podcast. Uh, the uh, words of truth really talk, try to get at, if you will, the basis of the idea of where these oppressions and these uh, racist acts have, have uh, continued to perpetuate fear, you know, and um, and inferiority and different types of ways of life for, for people of color. And so this one here, uh, most notably today, as we have the vaccine being, uh, being offered, uh, this community, I know for a fact, is really reluctant to even be involved with it at all because of the history of the sterilization project in their community uh, that this community has perpetuated on. So, so what do you think about that? I and mean, we learned a little bit more about it. What do you think? I mean, it's surprising because certainly, uh, so I am a white physician and I teach at a medical school where uh, even 
now most medical students and residents and physicians are white. And it's interesting. The students learn about classic um, uh, abuses of medical power, like the Tuskegee syphilis experiments and things like that. Um, but I have never heard that this particular thing that happened, you know, in our own town by our own institution. I have I have never heard that discussed with the students. Uh, now I will admit that that's not a part of the curriculum that I particularly take care of, but I'm I'm generally familiar with kind of the the things that are taught in our medical school, and uh, I, I'm kind of disappointed and surprised. And when we had first talked about this before we were podcasting, I was I was also kind of intrigued that. Um, something that would have such a powerful effect on marginalized communities that I, as an emergency physician, am dealing with every day would be so unknown to the people who are working at our institution. So I'm kind of wondering from your perspective, like, you know, is this story widely known in the community and kind of how has it affected people um, today? We talked a little bit about hesitance to take the COVID vaccine and things like that. And is that... Is that a perspective that goes through all of their healthcare interactions? You know, at what level does it affect people right now? That's a good question. A little more background, though. Uh, this study, this was in March of 2013 when this article was written. Well, prior to that, um, like I said, two of our city councilmen, uh, Ernie Palmer, that's her name, and, and Larry Womble, when they became representatives and went to Raleigh, this is one of the issues that they brought up, the idea of how would, could we get compensation at least, right? And also get some official, you know, um, um, action, if you will, on a matter, like you said, that has never really been acknowledged nor been, um, you know, apologies, any kind of thing has not been done as it relates to this. So, so, so then what that has caused is this idea about here's another thing, right, that our community has to deal with, with, you know, a mistake that was made that's unresolved, right? And so the idea of how do we begin to go back and look at these mistakes and bring them to the surface so that we can begin to, you know, get some uh, some justice out of them, right? And so some people can get some, you know, some relief, you know, because there's, there's people who directly were affected by it because it was their family members, right, mm -hmm. who actually were uh, impacted, who actually were a part of the study. So so how far do you think that this particular uh, historical uh, act of racism goes? I, I think that most of the folk, at least um, older generation of folk know, are aware of this. And would be less, you know, uh, likely to want to participate in the vaccine, you know, because of this, right? Um, and uh, again, I, I agree. It's like you said, it's it's not something that we we teach even from the med schools, you know. I mean, even with the work work that we the recent work that we've done, that's been the last seven years, right? Yeah. But yet we don't we have not included that, and even if it's if it's a, a particular uh, department of school of medicine, it seems like to me that would be a part of the story. You know that this that this university would at least you know want to say the medical community that this is something that was done it was wrong, and this is what we're doing about it. So, um, we want to delve more into this one as we go. What are you thinking? Well, you know, I'm wondering, kind of from the community's perspective, what would it look like for the medical school and organization as a whole to really own up to it and begin to heal that kind of breach of trust. I mean, certainly it seems uh, the smallest step to make sure that your own trainees are aware of 
those sorts of things that happened at, at the institution at which they're training, but uh, what kind of other steps um, would the institution be able to make that would help to repair that relationship? Yeah, because really at the, at the, you know, the crux of the matter, uh, Casey, is this idea of trust, right? You know, and, and most people who have doctors, they have the ultimate trust in their doctors. And so here's a case where you have segments of the community that don't trust doctors you know, and not willing to even, you know, uh, go see one or consider what a doctor says because of these kinds of things, right? And so um, I would I would wonder too if uh, if you begin to inquire, you know, at the university uh, medical school to see what folks know about that. They uh, I won't say right now what I think they will say, but I'd be interested to find out where they are on this matter. So yeah, I mean, I, I think I can tell you for sure. I'll be asking some questions since. Um, I do know uh, many of the people who are involved in kind of our diversity initiatives and um, people who speak to the kind of the social determinants of health. And so often we focus on things that seem to be more concrete or things that make the news on a daily basis, like poverty and, um, you know, more straightforward uh, parts of access to health as part of social determinants to health. But, you know, things like this where uh, someone's whole understanding of the medical system can be so um, damaged by history that they they could have all the access that it, there could be and not want to go just because, like you said, that trust relationship has been broken um, is something that uh, I think we don't really own up to enough and maybe don't put efforts in where the dividends really could be, you know, just as great as if we're approaching, you know, physical access or uh, resource issues like poverty and things like that. Right. No, I agree very much. And see, this is not only a local issue, this is a national issue. And so the idea of how communities of color think about medical communities across the nation is similar. It's not the same. And I'll use the word, you know, they have their own flavor. But it's for the same reasons, the idea of how systemic racism has perpetuated itself and how folks were using their community, you know, as guinea pigs, you know, uh, we're not the only community that had that kind of history. And so the more we began to get those things out, I think the better off we can be uh, move forward as uh, as we become more transformed, as I say. Yeah, I think, you know, structurally, the healthcare system is uh, uh, just not built to be able to resolve these issues very well. I mean, it's often led um, by people who are not representative of the communities where healthcare systems operate. Um, you know, most of the physicians are uh, whites and not minorities, and that's just nationally kind of how things go. And despite a lot of good intentions uh, in the last 10 years, there's not been a lot of changes in the number of uh, underrepresented uh, minorities that are able to make it into medical school and then on through that training to be practicing physicians. And so it's always uh, a question for me what other areas of the power structures of these institutions could be opened up to community engagement that would let the communities have a better voice and have a better understanding of what's happening um, inside of them so that those trust issues could be rebuilt. Because I know from my perspective, I'm an emergency physician. I work in the ER. I'm dealing with people who are usually pretty sick, may have other access to care issues. And I can tell you absolutely that my only concern ever is always making sure people are as healthy as they can be, uh, regardless of where you come from. And now certainly I, I probably have a lot of implicit biases that affect my 
behaviors, but my, at least my conscious intention is always just to help people. But, um, you know, these, these issues that affect, you you know, people that prevent them from coming and things like that. Um, I can't do a lot about unless we kind of change some of these other power structures and things so that people feel like, um, they're involved enough in the healthcare system that they can have trust in it again. Right. Yeah, I agree with you totally on the idea of power systems the, that needs to be changed. You know, the structures or the way they have functioned, right, has been the means by which uh, systemic racism has been perpetuated. And so that's the work for us going forward, right? We're not yeah. going to answer this one today, but it is the work going forward, and I look forward to, uh, to having you back on the show right, and having an answer for this, at least... Uh, what is the story of the medical community as it relates to the eugenics history at uh, Wake Forest Baptist University Medical Center? Well, thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming. So uh, as we close today, we want to make sure that you uh, have uh, this podcast on your phone or your computer and uh, be ready because we're still out there. Be ready for the next podcast. And also, if you have ideas, we're going to have a way that you can go to the website and shoot ideas to us. And so we are just glad that we're on this journey now to bring words of truth in times of hurt and pain. May we heal this community in ways that we never imagined. Go in peace. Thank you.